Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com. Welcome everyone to part two of our current series, Man Made, in which we're asking the question, what makes a man a man? Um, It's Father's Day. I do see we have a lot of men with us. So instead of saying amen today, we're going to go Marines. We're going to say hooah. So are you with me, men? Hooah. Awesome. That's great. I'm glad you're here because I have two special guests with us today. Growing up in the Northeast, uh, there were really two iconic images of men that were formational for me. Two guys who kind of gave me and a whole generation of boys their first glimpse at what manhood really looks like. And we're lucky to have them with us uh, today. I'll introduce you to the first uh, on my left, weighing in at 330 pounds, 6 foot 8 and 22 inch pythons. I present to you none other than the, do you guys remember this? Oh yeah, baby, the Hulkster. You see the resemblance right there, right? I remember, man, growing up, any Hulkamaniacs here? You still have the foam finger? You remember this at all? I was nine years old when I had my first introduction to professional wrestling, and it wasn't quite mainstream. They show it like on Saturday mornings on like Channel 9, but I remember the first time I saw this like mountain of a man, like the the bulging biceps, the bronze body, the thunderous thighs, man, and the way that he talked in interviews. You guys remember this? you got to say your prayers and take your vitamins, kids. Come on. What you going to do when Hulkamania runs wild on you? And I remember being like nine years old, being like, I'm going to drink that Kool-Aid straight down. <laughs> and I begged my father to take me to see a live match. And that summer, the circus came to town, the World Wrestling Federation Championship bout at Madison Square Garden featuring Hulk Hogan versus his nemesis, Big John Studd. Uh, just the names were hilarious. Do you guys remember this? Sergeant Slaughter, uh, the Iron Sheik, Superfly, Snuka, Rowdy Roddy Piper, Junkyard Dog. And this is when like, wrestling was still considered like a sport, like maybe it's, maybe it's real. And uh, so my dad and I, we drove into New York City, got a couple of cheap seats in the rafters of Madison Square Garden, got a program with the Hulkster on the cover of it. And I remember, I can see it as clearly as I was there. I remember being in those Neosweed seats. The place goes dark and the opening chords of Eye of the Tiger, and he he comes running down the the aisle with his eyes on fire like this, pointing like this, and he gets into the ring, starts shaking it, and does a little bit of this, and a little bit of this, and then he takes his t-shirt and goes, (laughs) like he's ripping a t-shirt, oh my goodness, rips his t-shirt off, and the announcer going, pandemonium has broken loose at the garden, and suddenly Big John Studd wails him from behind, oh, and the Hulkster is down and now he's stomping on Hulkster, stomping him. And I'm nine, and I'm like, oh my goodness, the Hulkster, you know? He gets him, he pins him, one, two, and then his hand goes up. 
And then and he puts him down again. And his hand goes up, and this time it's shaking like this. And then Big John starts wails on him, but then Hulk gets up like this, and he's energized. And then he nails him in the head, and like now he's bleeding. He's like, now I'm really energized. And I'm like, he's getting more powerful. How is this happening? And he, and he comes back, and he holds it back, and boom, he wails it, said, boom. And then off the turnbuckle, nails the guy, gets to climb to the top ropes, jumps off it, atomic leg drop, boom. Holds him, one, two, three. And the place went bananas. When you are nine years old, you never recover from this, okay? It was everything I had hoped for. Violence, mayhem, you know, tough guy versus tougher guy. And honestly, I remember thinking, now, that, now that's who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> a man who's larger than life, who is pumped full of muscle. Now we know steroids. Uh, two guys, you know, duking it out mano a mano. And um, the other fight that, I was like, that's a man. That night, the other fight was Sergeant Slaughter versus the Iron Sheik in a steel cage match. This was very sublime. And uh, the truth is, a lot of us still carry around in our heart of hearts kind of a vestige of that. At some level, every guy will still believes, like, maybe, you know, that's kind of what a man's man is. A real man is, is, is the guy who benches the most, who belches the loudest, who hits the hardest, bleeds the brightest, and has 22-inch pythons, brother. Pray for Hulk Hogan. Now, fast forward about five years, I'm 15 years old, when I was introduced to the second icon of my generation, who offered a very different picture of masculinity. Like Hulk, his name began with an H, but he represented the other end of the masculine uh, spectrum there, and we can all say it together, dope, you know, a <laughs> little bit, not Hulk, Homer Simpson. Any Simpson fans here? Who's a Simpsons fan, okay? You guys probably remember this. I, again, I was 15. Homer was kind of historic in a lot of ways, because this was the first time on national television that a family man, a husband, a father, a dad, was not portrayed as strong and capable or respectful, in fact, just the opposite. Instead of a father knows best, well, here's a homage to Homer. I think you get the idea. It goes on that way for about nine hours. Uh, you know, Homer and Hulk, the mook and the macho man, kind of like the yin and the yang of masculinity. Sadly, there's a lot of evidence that suggests guys today haven't moved too far beyond these kind of cartoon uh, caricatures of my youth. Last week, I introduced you to a book called Guyland. We're, we're done with this, by the way. Thank you. No one's listening to the message. They want, I want to see the Simpson highlights. <laughs> Um, where we acknowledge a lot of guys today are either totally passive, they're either stuck or stalled, kind of looking to duck the responsibilities of, you know, a job, a wife, raising a family, basically a mook like Homer. On the other hand, there are other guys who pose as macho men, and they kind of project this pumped-up image that they are tough and in control, even though there's maybe a little bit of rage or anger underneath, and, and you don't want to tangle with a guy like this, because the, the, this guy uh, is real men, they never show their feelings, they don't ask for directions, they don't give up, they don't give in, be strong, be aggressive, no fear, no mercy, win at all costs. And we said, are either of these what God meant when he created man? And to find out, we went to the original source material beginning in the book of Genesis to see how God made man. And you can take your Bible and turn there. 
We looked at the first couple of chapters, how God made man in his image to be his mini-icon for two foundational purposes, for work and a woman. God places Adam, Adam, the Hebrew for man, in a garden, and he commanded him, work it and take care of it. So first, God gives Adam a job. Then he gives him a woman. And we admitted it's easier to get the second once you have the first. Adam is not better than Eve. Both are equal in value, dignity, and worth. But Adam is given this lead role to protect, provide for, and care and nurture Eve. That's masculine leadership. The man actually offers his strength physically, emotionally, spiritually to a woman. He actually loves his wife. He's intimate, faithful to her. With his kids, he pours wisdom and discipline and affection into his kids, and the first family is formed in Genesis. That's how creation began at the outset. God gives man work to do and a wife to love, and it was good. The question we asked, so what the heck happened? How did we go from this to this? From hero to Homer, a soft, flabby kind of version of dude, guy, you know, where dads are dope, guys are gutless, concerned with the path of least resistance. Look what's in Homer's hand, by the way, I love that. A can of beer, a hot dog, a donut, and a remote control. It's like thousands of years of human development and education. Here we are. We've reached the, you know, the apex. If man was designed to use his strength to serve and sacrifice for others, how did we get like these choices? Homer and Hulk, the mook and the macho man. The answer is found in Genesis chapter 3. That's where we're going to be today. Last week we looked at the first wedding. We witnessed this God the Father. He walked his daughter Eve down the aisle. He hands responsibility for her over to Adam. But the honeymoon is like barely over when the wheels come off. Suddenly, uh, Satan enters the garden in the form of a serpent and starts talking to Eve. He starts planting doubts in the woman's mind about God's goodness. Instead of seeing God as this, this, this all-holy, generous father, he says, hey, maybe, maybe, it's, maybe he's holding back on you. And he, and he slithers up to the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and says, hey, how about a, how about a bite, of, bite of this? And instead of rebuking him, Eve, the woman, actually, she engages. Verse 6 says this, When the woman saw the fruit was good for food, pleasing to the eye, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. Can we read this together? Who was with her and he ate it. So, where was Adam when Satan slithers up to his wife Eve? Right alongside her. This is something most theologians overlook. The Puritans, in fact, very biblically based, but they had a saying. They said, when Adam was away, the woman went astray. But that's not biblically accurate, is it? <laughs> From a masculine perspective, the four most devastating words in the Bible are about Adam, the man who was with her and said nothing. Hands in his pockets. Now, guys, this is, like, this is basic being a man 101, okay? If you see a snake slither up and start chatting up your wife, you need to say something, right? This is like basic. You show some leadership. Uh, Colleen and I were out for dinner recently at Chili's, and um, you know how like when you get there and there's like a line to give you like one of those beepers and you got to wait and all that? So we're waiting there, and I'm like, I got to use the restroom. So I go to the restroom, and I come back, and there's my wife standing there and some big guido standing there with his mug chatting her up, and he's wearing an Ed Hardy t-shirt. It's one of those jobs that's like so tight, and it looks like he made it with a bedazzler, you know? And he's chatting my wife up. It's New Jersey. It happens. 
So what do I do, right? I wa- I, I'm like, okay, here we go. So I walk over, I'm like, hello, I'm Tim, you know? And I give, I give him the extra squeeze like that. But he's like one of those pumped up dudes, so he's like squeezing back. I'm like, wow. So I give him the double. You ever do that when you grab the forearm and the hand? Like, I'm all business, dude, you know? And I was like, this is my wife, Colleen. And he's like, oh, oh, all right. You know, he gets a little bit flustered, and he took his Coors Light and slithered back to the bar. And um, now that's just me being a man protecting Eve, okay? My wife, my family what God gave me to defend. But in Genesis, the paint's not even dry on the marriage license, and Adam, whoop, goes into his shell. He goes silent, hands in his pockets, passive. He doesn't defend, he doesn't fight, he doesn't engage the snake, and he doesn't lead spiritually. That's what's happening here. There's a crisis. He doesn't actually say, wait, wait, time out, sweetheart. That's, that's not what God says. He's not a theologian. He doesn't teach the Bible. He doesn't actually defend God's character. He doesn't say, God, that's not who God is. That's not what our Father is. Instead of leading, he just stands there and says nothing. The silence of Adam. It's deafening. And the fallout is devastating. The first thing, if you look at chapter 3, is what happens when the man and the woman, they're ashamed of their failure, they immediately hide from each other. And this is where the gender wars start. Genesis 3.7 says, The eyes of both of them were opened. They realized they were naked. So what do they do? They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. If you remember last week, man and woman, they were born to be totally transparent before one another, naked, unashamed, nothing to hide. But now Adam puts on a fig leaf. So let's just do that right now. We'll do that one for you. He gets one right here and one for the Hulkster. He doesn't need it with the spandex, but we'll put it on there anyway. He both cover up because what's a man's deepest fear? Being exposed. Seen, being seen as inadequate or weak or maybe not measuring up. So what do we do? We wear fig leaves. If we're passive uh, or weak, we hide behind a tough guy's, right? Like a, like a disguise is kind of tough. We pretend we have it together. Or we hide behind a fig leaf of humor or low expectations. And Adam hides from the woman, and then he hides from God. It says they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And this is, this is sublime. This is hilarious because this is the first time you have a grown-up man pretending he's a little boy, <laughs> My six-year-old uh, son, Dell, recently he wrote on the kitchen cabinets and permanent marker. Way to go. Uh, so Kyle calls Dad in for discipline. So here comes Dad. Well, Dell takes off, and he goes and hides in the front closet of our house. I see it, so I go open. I open the front closet, and there are all the coats, like, lined up with these two little legs sticking out. And he's not moving. Like, maybe if I don't breathe, Dad won't see me. <laughs> maybe he won't notice me. That instinct never goes away for a man. When all the stresses and pain of family life become too much, some guys hide in the garage, in front of the TV. They avoid the wife, the kids. They avoid God. Nah, I'm not really feeling church today. He realizes, I'm not much of a spiritual leader, and you feel the pain of that, and so he disappears into sports or hobbies or time at the bar with the boys. Anything to avoid having his shortcomings exposed, he hides. Now, what's God the Father's response to all this? Verse 9, it says this, But the Lord God called out to the man, three words, let's say them together, where are you? Where are you? I think that God is asking that very question to a lot of men today. Where are you? I made you in my image. I called you to to build, defend, and fight, and be a spiritual leader and take responsibility. So where are you? If Adam's a spiritual leader, what that means is God holds him responsible. Notice that it's Eve who actually sins first. She takes the first bite. In other words, she's well-intentioned, but she is deceived. 
Adam's sin is that he's silent and passive. And who does God hold responsible? Both of them. But he places an additional burden on the man for the well-being of his family. And guys, this is the foundational curse that every one of us, me included, bear as sons of Adam. Unless something is done to reverse the pattern, our legacy is to avoid, abandon, or abuse the woman and fail to take responsibility. That, that's what spiritual leadership is. Like, that feels like a lofty term. What's spiritual leadership? It, just simp- it doesn't mean man's better than woman. They are equals. But that God has charged the men with taking an extra responsibility for the marriage, the kids, the family. And guys are very intimidated about this today. Uh, in, our, in our culture, you guys know this, we have a severe lack of spiritual role models. We have sports stars, we have rock stars, we have movie stars, guys who get paid, guys who get laid, but we don't have many spiritual stars, do we? And, and, and so we, people assume, well, this must be what a man does. And we assume one of these postures until God calls us out and says, where are you? Adam's response in verse 10 is, I was, I was afraid because I was naked, so I... So I hid. Translation, I felt exposed. And I didn't want you or her to see, so I put a fig leaf on. That, that's what these are, Homer and Hulk. They, these are fig leaves. These are, these are poses that our culture gives to guys to hide behind as a way to kind of avoid, abandon, or abuse their God-given calling to be a spiritual leader. Mark Driscoll of Mars Hill Church in Seattle, he says, men today are classic sons of Adam, <laughs> and that they take one of two approaches to masculinity in general, in marriage in particular. One is, one is cowardice, right? Like their father, Adam, they avoid responsibility, they avoid conflict, they're passive, silent, or they just pass the buck. Did you, did you notice that, by the way? When God asks Adam what he's done, verse 12, it says, the man said, I love this, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me the fruit. In other words... Don't blame me, it's her fault, right? Don't hold me accountable. He even kind of implicates God. You put her with me, what am I going to do? She blames the woman. That's the first approach most men take today, cowardice. The second approach, though, is chauvinism. Because there are other guys who don't want to be seen as weak, passive, or silent, so they overcompensate and become chauvinists and bullies and thugs and bad boys and over-adrenalized jerks. And the history of the world is really divided between these two men. Homer or Hulk. Cowardice or chauvinism. Too little or too much. And both are imposters. They don't reflect biblical masculinity. And I've spent time with enough guys that there are kind of, kind of a few versions of these fig leaves on both sides. See if these ring a bell. I'll just start with Hulk on the chauvinist front. There's the guy called Macho Man Mike. I'm not talking about Pastor Mike. Uh, but this is the guy, all these names are fictitious. This is the guy who thinks a real man is just the opposite of the woman. So whatever a girl does, he does the opposite. Some of you guys had this dad, right? Mom hugs, so dad doesn't hug. Mom says, I love you. Dad gives you a punch in the arm. Mom kisses you, and so he doesn't kiss or be affectionate because that's girl stuff. Boys don't cry, they get even. And, and these guys tend to think being a man, you belch the loudest, you punch the hardest, you fart the smelliest, that's a man. It's not a man, it's a joke. <laughs> there are no women here today saying, God, please send me that. You know, there's not... <laughs> Have you seen the Jersey Shore? You've seen Jersey Shore, you've watched that? Right? Men are defined. GLT, gym, laundry, tan. That's what guys do. Macho Man's Mike's wingman is Bad Boy Bob. This is the guy who's the lady killer. He thinks he's a cross between a George Clooney and Bad, Brad Pitt. Kind of like the perpetual battler, bachelor who's always playing the field, kind of on the prowl. Because women are game. You don't pray with a woman, you don't pray for a woman, you treat her as prey. <laughs> 
And bad boy Bob is always on the prowl, kind of, you watch The Bachelor, it's all about kind of flirting and chasing after and capturing, but then letting it go. Reads, as we saw last week, Maxim for tips on how to get, you know, sex without commitment, that's the goal. I'm going to play Eve before she plays me. And I'm not going to get tied up or tied down, I'm going to play the field. Eve is never to be trusted, respected, or protected, just pounced on. Now Mike and Bob uh, share a house with their buddy, Hothead Hank. This is the guy who has anger issues. Uh, he's rude, crude, mean. You guys know this guy. He's harsh, overbearing, bossy. He thinks being a man means being a boss. That's what it was. So he yells a lot. At the office, at home, a lot of times he's in charge of stuff just by sheer because people are afraid of him. Like a drill sergeant, rules through fear and intimidation. So he barks out orders to his wife. The kids blow it. He barks out orders to them. What do you do? It dresses them down if they don't, if they don't you know, do what he wants. So what happens is people fear and obey this guy, but they don't love or respect him. Because if he doesn't get his way, he gets abusive. Maybe physical or verbal. And, and this is scary. Just to give you a heads up, this is scary stuff. Because Hothead Hank is where Adam goes with his shame and his anger instead of bringing it to God. He pours it out on Eve or the kids. Domestic violence now affects one in every four women, according to the CDC. That's why women's shelters exist, right? Because men misunderstand their masculinity and they don't know what to do with their confusion or rage, so they get violent. Look in your Bible, Genesis 4. It doesn't take long for that to happen, does it? Eve gives birth to what? Two boys, Cain and Abel. When Abel seems favored by God, Cain gets angry, and when they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. The first domestic violence incident on record. Family dysfunction, first murder. Hothead Hank is scary. If his slaps don't leave bruises, his words do. And some of you know because you've lived with him. Men, what would you do if you encountered Hothead Hank? You walked into a New Jersey diner and, and you saw him. Would you stand up to him? Or would you stay silent like Adam? Oh, you're here. It usually happens in private, as dramatized in this British public service announcement. Who can forget singer Rihanna, bruised and bloodied at the hands of her boyfriend? Domestic violence. One in four women will be victims. But what would you do if, in a public place, you see this woman? She walks into a restaurant. Would you comfort her, call the police, or mind your own business? Within minutes, this man approaches. You need help with something? I'm just waiting for my boyfriend to come in inside. Now the man's wife comes over. He's going to be coming in soon. He's going to be upset. He sees me talking to you. But what will they do now when the boyfriend who inflicted those bruises walks in? How you doing? Huh? She seems upset. The couple goes back to their table, but they quickly learn all is not right at table one. What was that? They were just nice. They're nice people? What the hell was that about? Why are they saying that? Yeah. What's the matter? Don't you get it, huh? Are you stupid? Look at me. What none of these customers know is that she is an actress working for us, transformed with makeup into a woman so battered, she's hard to miss. Did you order the food? I ordered some major drinks. I told you to order the food. Why, why would you do that? Why would you do that? And the angry boyfriend, he's also an actor. Order the food. How hard is that to do? Hey! And that's all it takes. The concerned man is back. 
Don't look. You might need to go outside for a few minutes and just... Sorry. This has nothing to do with you. Let's go outside and... No. and Listen. Settle down. You tell me there's a problem? No, I don't Let's know. Let's go. All right. He tries to defuse things by taking that boyfriend outside. No, there's... Meanwhile, his wife comes over to comfort our battered woman. Are you okay? But moments later, the boyfriend is back, still seething. Is this guy embarrassing me here like this? Embarrassing me like this? It's ridiculous. Now watch what happens when the abuser gets more physical. Look at me! Oh. Stop, please! You're hurting me. Stop it. Hold on one second. Hold on one second. It's a galvanizing moment. This big guy on his way out pushes the boyfriend aside. Luckily, that's our security man, an ex-cop. When the dust settles, we meet Adam Weiss. Why get involved? It's my nature. When there's something not right, you try and fix it. What would you do? Would you, would you stand up, would you say something, or would you keep your hands in the pockets like Adam? Only two men had the courage to stand up and engage and say something. Women, this, this, is, this is why, if this is you, I know that was hard to watch, but if this is you, if your boyfriend, your, your husband, or any man ever raises a hand to you, you need to get out. Hothead Hank specializes, you've got to understand, in contrition. Okay, If confronted or caught, this is the guy who's like, he's so sorry, he will cry, he will promise, he will beg you for a second chance. It will never happen again. Don't be deceived like Eve was. There are deeper issues lurking underneath the surface, and your role is not to fix him. It's to actually get help. That's one of the reasons Liquid is partnering with Women Aware, that battered women's shelter based in New Brunswick, so we can actually provide women and their kids with the refuge and resources they need to escape abuse. That's the whole point of our man-made outreach on July 4th weekend. Men, we're, we're actually calling you out to help reverse the curse of Hothead Hank. And we're looking for an army of men to spend a day using their strength and power to actually serve women. Imagine that in this world. And together, we're going to renovate and remodel the battered women's shelter, make it a safe place for women and their kids. Um, if you're a father, I need to tell you, Dad, this is a perfect work project to bring your boys on because you want to show them early on what real men who have Christ as their model are nothing to be feared. Rather, they use their God-given strength to love, nurture, and protect the daughters of Eve. So sign up, guys, okay? What we're going to do on Friday is all that prep work, and Saturday is construction and renovation of the playground for the kids, landscaping. We need an army of guys to say, you know what, count me in. So this is a very, very practical way to remove the fig leaf of hothead Hank and macho man Mike and bad boy Bob. The fig leaf of chauvinism. Now, the fig leaf of cowardice, that, that's, that's like a whole different type of guy. The first one is, is little boy Larry. You guys know little boy Larry? Total sweetheart. Man, he's a sweetheart. Hot and Hank is easy to dislike. This guy's hard to dislike. 20s or 30s, God forbid 40s or 50s. Can't keep a job. Forgets to set his alarm. Kind of eight years into his undergrad. Maybe going to declare a major. We'll see. Works part-time because it stresses him out and still lives with his mom. Little boy Larry loves women. You've got to understand this because they're the ones who change his diaper. He really wants to move out and find a woman, preferably one with a full-time job in a condo. <laughs> Ladies, some of you are like Eve, easily deceived because you look at little boy Larry and you see potential in him. You focus on the bright side, but he's really, really good with kids. That's because he is one. 
And, and you feel a mother-child sympathy for this guy, not a husband-wife commitment that you can actually build a family on. It just means you get a husband and your first child all at once. Little boy Larry never grows up, and our culture says, hey, who wants to be grown up anyway? Boys will be boys, some longer than others. That's the tagline for the new Adam Sandler movie, Grown Ups. Check this out. In 1978, they were the best of friends. Now, they're getting back together for the first time in over 30 years. They're meeting each other's families. That's it. No more video games. No more cell phones from now on. Stay outside and play. What are we supposed to do? You see a rope and a lake and that doesn't make you want to go nuts? Class is in session. Go, baby! Too high! This was a mistake! Let go! Let go! Let go! Just get Little boy Larry, he's the man-child. It's kind of a stock character you see over and over. Adam Sandler, Will Ferrell, any Judd Apatow comedy. If you missed the man-child last week in The Hangover, uh, he's the one wearing the baby Bjorn in case you missed it. See behind him, that's bad boy Bob. They're stock characters. The only guy who's married and has a job is the nerd on the right who gets his teeth knocked out. The happy family man who actually loves God, loves his wife, takes responsibilities for his kids. That's like an alien concept. In our culture, dad is a dope. The father's a fool. The guy next door, if there is one, his name is Checked Out Chad. This, this, is, the, this is the dad who goes to work, maybe actually goes to church, come home, pays the bills, turns on the TV, and then tunes out. Physically present in the home, but emotionally MIA. He's missing in action. Always on the internet, working in the car, in the yard, at the game with his buddies. And if you say, Dad, you were never there, he was like, I was always there. What are you talking about? Yes, in a comatose state. There, there are some of you here who, who your dad never said, I love you. He didn't come to your games. He didn't go on daddy-daughter dates. He never engaged or encouraged you. And he would say, what do you mean I wasn't a good dad? I put food on the table, a roof over your head. I came home every night, and I was there. But he wasn't present connected, emotionally invested, participating. Why? Here's the answer. Because family is work. A wife is work. Kids are work. And after a hard day's work, guess what? Most men don't want more work. That's just the truth. It's actually part of Adam's curse here in Genesis 3. God says, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce what? thorns and thistles for you. In other words, Adam, this is not going to be easy. Finding a job, making a living, providing for your family, cultivating a career, and cultivating a marriage and kids all at the same time, it's going to be hard. Thorns and thistles. You're going to sweat at work and you come home and Eve will feel prickly at times. Home will not always be a soft place to land. So you're going to want to disappear and check out, basically. Even though she and the kids need your strength and presence. And I get that, guys. It's hard to give when you've been grinding it out all day at work. I get that. But that's why marriage is a man's job. Being a daddy, it takes a man. A boy can have a baby. It takes a man to raise one. Why? Because this side of Eden, guys, work for a man is mostly thorns and thistles. <laughs> there will be setbacks. Just as you get a promotion, recession hits and things downsize. 
you and your wife settle into finally, you know, married life and then unexpected illness or infertility comes along. Some of you know the pain of that. That's one of Eve's curses, the kids. Or you have your first child and all of a sudden Adam starts getting all resentful because Cain gets all of Eve's attention. And suddenly we're strangers in the bedroom. What's happening here? So he spends more time, he disappears. Silence of Adam, at work or golfing with the boys. Because leave Eve with the curse at home, that's hers anyway. And time out, I'm just going to kind of tune out in front of Sports Center for a while. God made men to build, defend, and fight in what we've settled for, the culture says, is avoid, abuse, or abandon. You know what? You can do that in church too. The final fig leaf is worn by Heavenly Henry. This is the guy who's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. His fig leaf is a religious one. His last name is Flanders, okay? You guys know this. I'm, not, I'm, I'm, just, I'm trying to just speak totally honest to you. And you know, I stayed away from church for a while because I found it was full of just holier-than-thou, nice guys, polite guys who kind of mask their fear with the super spiritual veneer. This is why guys, honestly, in their 20s and 30s, rarely go to church. It, it, they, they look at it, and it seems so fake and so feminized. Can, can I just call that out? It's not just like our culture. It's the church, too. The Western church has become so emasculated that men are leaving in droves. On any given Sunday in North America, women account for 60% of the congregation. Overseas in Europe, it's 10 women for every one dude in attendance. Some of you you guys are like, those are good odds. Wait a minute, go to Europe. So if a guy walks into a church nowadays, he walks in and he looks at the purple curtains, he sees flowers on the altar, there's sign-ups for the choir and quilting circles, he's like, what is, get me out of here. He doesn't see Jesus Christ, he sees pink church culture. This is an actual church. I think that's a great picture. Little pink churches for you and me. Seriously, like an unchurched dude, he looks at this and he goes, it's like going to a princess tea party. I get it. You get there, you mind your manners, you watch your language, you be extra polite because that's what being a Christian is. It's what good boys do. And I look at that and I'm like, how did the Christian church, founded by the manliest of men and his 12 male disciples, become so emasculated? In the early church, the gospel literally was about saving the world against impossible odds. That's what the gospel was. But today, we describe it, and I've, I've described it myself this way. We use this language. Think about this language, how a dude hears this. You can have a personal relationship with a wonderful man who will never leave you. He will always be there. That's called What About Bob? I've seen the movie. The language has to change if we're going to reach men. And I'll just be totally candid about this. Most guys feel very, very awkward with all the kind of the hype about, you know, being in love with Jesus. They will follow Jesus. The idea of actually laying down their life like Jesus is a very compelling vision to them. But the music, not so much. Some of them are like prom songs to Jesus. It, it's, it, can I get one of you guys? Can I get a volunteer here? One of you guys? Come on, come on, come on up. Give this guy a hand. Come on up. Come on up. What's up? Hop on up, dude. What's up, my man? What's your name? Ian. Ian, awesome. Right over here, Ian. Let's pretend. So, Ian, we just met? Awesome. Good to have you with Thank us. You. I'm not going to do anything, nothing, you know, nothing too much. Right. But I want you to imagine Ian and I, let's go hunting together. All we're going to do a real manly thing and go hunting. So let's pretend we're out in the woods. Hold your gun. This is New Jersey. It's, a, this is, it's New Jersey, so it's a semi-automatic weapon. Very nice. We, I'm we, we shoot deer like this. Bam, bam, you know, kind of thing. Like right, right. right. <laughs> it's two gats, right? Okay. So we got there. Ian and I are standing in the woods, and I say, you know, Ian, I really appreciate your friendship. In fact, I'd like to express how much I appreciate you through some words I picked up in church. Ian, hold me close. Let your love surround me. Let your love surround I feel like dancing. It's foolishness, I know. Your fragrance is intoxicating in the secret place. 
Now what happened? Was I holding my gun? Ian turned. Thank you, Ian. You get the point. He's going to turn the gun on me. Is it, is it no wonder guys hate church? There's actually a book by that title, Why Men Hate Going to Church, which notes that over 70% of boys being raised in church today will abandon it during their teens and their 20s, and most will never return. Why? Because God made them for, for a mission to die for, not to be held in the secret place. Little boy Larry checked out Chad, Heavenly Henry. Those are the options our culture offers. Men's are either chauvinists or cowards, Homer or Hulk, too much or too little. I'll be candid with you, my story. In my 20s, I played the part of little boy Larry. Uh, I started dating my wife, uh, Colleen, in college, but afterwards, uh, I went backpacking through Europe while she, with some of my buddies, while she went to work in New York City, and um, after I came back, I strung along our dating for eight years. Yeah which was completely unfair, made her feel like maybe there's something wrong with her, when the truth was, I was afraid. I was insecure. So I offered Colleen my weakness, my strength, not my insecurity as a boy, not my integrity as a man. It is one of my life's greatest regrets. I did not marry her earlier. In my 30s, I kind of skewed hothead Hank. I wasn't angry or abusive, but early in our marriage, I was very bossy. <laughs> I was always the one right. I won every argument. I've told you about this. I thought being a spiritual leader, it meant sitting her down for devotions and telling her how she could be a better you know, wife, a better mother. Not helpful, by the way. In a, in a marriage, you want an adult-adult dynamic, not a parent-child one. And I was always the teacher, and I would get upset when she wasn't treating me like I thought I deserved. When I think about this, I'm like, my hope for my 40s is to actually forget the fig leaves and become a man who's willing to lead and bleed like Jesus did. Here is the good news, guys. You can become a man if you understand the gospel. If you work it in your life, you must take your cues from the ultimate man, Jesus Christ himself. See, in the middle of Genesis 3 here, the father actually confronts the serpent and he makes a promise. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman between your offspring and hers. In other words, God is saying, on this earth, men, you will be constantly at war with Satan. He is the one who opposes strong marriages, strong families, strong churches. But one day, a real man will step forward and he will what? Crush your head and you will strike his heel. Theologians call this the proto-evangelion, the first gospel. And the good news that God is saying is that there is a new man, a God-man, who is going to come to defeat Satan and undo everything Adam has done. 1 Corinthians calls Jesus the second Adam. And the promise is that Adam's loss will be overcome by Jesus' victory over Satan's sin and death on the cross. Paul writes, The first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam, a life-giving spirit. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man from where? From heaven. The key to understanding what it means to be a man, surprise, is to follow the pattern of Jesus. Remember this. The essence of masculinity is taking responsibility. Jesus leaves heaven, comes to this earth, and takes responsibility, not just for himself, but for who? For me. For all the sons of Adam who fall short of the glory of God. The cross is where Jesus substitutes himself and he says, I'm going to die in your place, die for your sins in order to repair your relationship with God, with the woman, and with the world. Now understand this. My sins and your sins, they're not the fault of Jesus. 
But out of love and leadership, Jesus voluntarily makes them his responsibility. I got it. He takes them on his back and he pays for them with his life. That's the gospel. That's the essence of it. And if you understand this, man, it will change your view of masculinity. Because a man is one who takes responsibility like Jesus did. When I look out here, I speak for myself. Some of you are not physically big or tough. You're not strong. In a steel cage match, it will not go well for you. Just let you in on this. But you can still be a man if you're responsible. Because when you surrender your life to the cross, you actually come out of hiding and say, you know what? No more fig leaves. Here's my sin. I'm not hiding behind the tough guys anymore. Jesus, you're free to change my life. 1 Corinthians promises, just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Translation, you don't have to live like a son of Adam. Through faith in Christ, you can become a brother of Jesus and live like Jesus lived. Not with cowardice, but the courage of Christ that walks to a cross. Not with chauvinism, but compassion, tenderness, mercy. Author David Murrow says that every great man is both a lion and a lamb. You've heard that image before. On the one hand, uh, like, he possesses a bold, masculine, powerful side. And at the same time, he has a softer, caring, compassionate one. The key is, how do you balance the two? The lion and the lamb is the scriptural image for Jesus Christ. Because he only he balanced the two perfectly. Guys, if you are going to look for a roadmap to authentic masculinity... Read the Gospel of Matthew this week. It is amazing. I was surveying it this week. It's unbelievable. In the first seven chapters, Christ is almost completely lamb. He's born a helpless infant. He's baptized. He receives the love of his father. Think about what he preaches. Blessed are the meek. Turn the other cheek. But in the next 18 chapter, Christ becomes a lion. The guy casts out demons. He walks on the wind and the waves. He clears a temple with a whip. He's Indiana Jones, man. Lion of Judah. Claws are out. And then in the final three chapters of Matthew, he becomes a lamb once again. He says nothing as he is unjustly accused, mocked, tortured, and crucified. And if you take your time to read the Gospels, you will see this pattern. Lamb, lion, lamb. Guess how he's coming back? Uh, Three stages of manhood, which could be called submission, strength, and surrender or or sacrifice. That's the way of biblical manhood. That's the, the path that Christ himself, the second Adam, laid out for us to follow. And here's the deal, each stage takes time. In the first one, you actually have to surrender yourself to God and admit, like Adam, I, I need help, I can't do this myself. I've screwed up, that's, that's submission. When you do that, God promises to fill you with the Holy Spirit. That becomes a source of new strength, not Adam's strength, holy strength from Christ himself, supernatural power. What that does is then allow you to actually sacrifice in ways you never thought previously possible. So if you're like harsh and you're hot-tempered by nature, you actually, the Holy Spirit gives you compassion and patience and you learn that your strength is never to be used against a woman but to actually serve her, to wash feet. If you're passive, you learn that actually standing up and making a commitment and seeing things through with a woman even in the face of indecision or fear is sometimes the most courageous thing you can do. You don't have to abuse, avoid, or abandon your responsibility. Because the courage of Christ himself overcomes cowardice. You don't have to be that poser. The compassion of Christ overcomes chauvinism. That's not who he designed you to be. Courage 
and compassion. That is your identity in Jesus Christ. And his strength can pour out through you and change you. That's what you were made for. You weren't made to be a homer or a hulk. And if any of those tendencies are, are, are present in your life, Christ has the power to change that and actually give you new life in his image. You know, maybe you're here today and you're like, I got dragged here by my girlfriend or wife or whatever on Father's Day. And maybe you feel a bit exposed and you're like, what is this about? Do you know why God does this? He calls us out because he is a loving father and wants the best for his boys. He wants them to grow up into men. The real men he always had in mind, men like your brother Jesus, first to lead, first to bleed. If you never had a father love and accept you, you do now. And maybe today you actually become a son of God, return to your heavenly father. I want to give you a chance to talk to your father right now, even as we pray. So let's all our campuses bow our heads right now. Father, we thank you that you have made becoming a son, a son of God, so simple. Thank you that we need to surrender to Christ, believing that his sacrifice was for me. Father, right now, all the men here, we are praying and just acknowledging to you, you are a safe person to be open with all the ways that we fall short. Just take a minute to pray to God. God, I think of all the times that I have hurt and abused my wife, not physically, but with my words, with my emotional vacancies. Sometimes I check out. But God, I, I acknowledge that to you. I ask forgiveness for your sins through Jesus. And right now I ask your Holy Spirit to come very powerfully in the lives of the men here, Father. Bear fruit, fruit that is of Christ and not our culture. Lord, man us up. Would we... By your power, could we be that, that exception, that example in our culture that's like salt because it's so different than the world? Lord, I pray that you will rise up leaders out of this church, Lord, guys who are younger than me who are, are spiritual giants, Father. Let us know we're not alone. Father, hook up older men with younger men, Father, to mentor and train. I pray for great victory in the power of Jesus. Lord, thank you for the women here. I pray that you will give them strength and courage, particularly if they are in um, an abusive relationship. Father, let them raise their hand and take off their fig leaf and say, I need help. We are here to help. And we give all glory and honor to you, Jesus, and we thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Audio. If this message has touched you, we'd love to know how. Just email Pastor Dave Adamson at churchonline at liquidchurch.com. For more information and content, or to connect with our worldwide Liquid Church community, log on to liquidchurchonline.com.